Well, hello and welcome along to Extra Time here on LCFC Radio and LCFC TV after Leicester City's one-all draw at Ellen Road on Sunday. Uh, we'll be talking through that game uh, and having a, a little assessment of this mini-period that Leicester have had since the last international break. And these two will go head-to-head in football Jenga as well at the end uh, of the show. Uh, Tony and Jerry, uh, without further ado, let's get you introduced. How are you both, Tony? I'm, I'm sure there's a, a beaming smile on your face this morning. Yeah, well, I probably told you, you don't, you need to, don't need to meet to say where I was yesterday, Dan. I was at the London Stadium again and uh, yet another great performance by West Ham and uh, probably good for the Premier League as well, I might add, you know, to beat Liverpool and, you know, because otherwise we're going to end up in that top three sort of running away with it. But I think it's nice, whether it's West Ham, we've had Leicester over the years, haven't we? You know, it's always nice to have a team in that top four that's just upsetting the apple cart a little bit. So, yeah, big smile on my face and uh, I enjoyed watching the highlights of uh, Leeds and Leicester as well. So it looked like it was a really, really good game. Yeah, you were there, of course, Jerry. It was it was a good game, wasn't it? Just um, disappointing, I guess, in a way. Leicester weren't able to get three points, but it was a, a hard-fought point anyway. Yeah, I think I think probably a, a draw was a, a fair result on reflection. Down, obviously, you can we'll probably talk about the offside goal, uh, Lookman's offside goal. But you, you've got to say Leeds had their chances as well, um, and, and in particular Harrison, who. Managed to put it over the bar with a stay from about 40 yards out. Uh, and one or two other opportunities, but a really enjoyable, exciting game of football. Yes, the quality in the final third from both teams overall was lacking, but some of the build-up play, uh, some of the attack and flair uh, from, from both sides yesterday, a really, really enjoyable watch. Yeah, absolutely. Tony, I'm sure, as you said, you've you've... Seen the highlights of the game. Um, what did you make of it? What did you make of, of Leicester's performance? Yeah, I think I think Tags was spot on really with the, the final third aspect of things. I think, you know, both sides perhaps were a little bit guilty of that. But um, you know, Casper had some good saves, didn't he? And certainly there was an element of controversy in the game in terms of possible red cards, in terms of offside decisions, in terms of handballs, you know, possible penalties. So there was there's certainly plenty for us to talk about this morning. But um, I just felt the, I felt the pace of the game looked fantastic. Um, it's always nice when... I, I, I don't like when you tune in to watch a Premier League game and it's just pass, pass, pass. I, I did watch uh, Manchester United Man City at the weekend and Manchester United were really poor, but it was just watching... I know Man City are good, but they're just passing the ball 10 yards, 10 yards, 20 yards, you know. But I think with Leeds and Leicester, it was almost the complete opposite where you get two teams really going for it, end-to-end stuff, fast bit of physical contact in there as well. Well, everything that's great about the Premier League then. So it was a really, really good watch. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, I guess in a way, as you said, Jerry, probably about right, wasn't it? The, the point in the end. And it's just a shame in, in those games where you've been entertained like that, that you just want to see Leicester go on and get the winner. And let's talk about the, the offside goal because we thought that Leicester had got what probably would have been the winner at that stage of the game. But uh, just marginally offside. Uh, yeah, it's so unlucky, isn't it? I, I mean... They did it on Thursday night, Leicester, where they continually went for that near post flick on. You know, it's a change of tactic from Brendan Rodgers and his coaching staff as regards to set pieces. Uh, and obviously it worked on Thursday night with Iosi Perez. And it was an in-swinging corner on Thursday night. This that time it was an out-swinging corner where Jamie Vardy's made that run towards an near post. But the same outcome, he gets a flick on. And it's just unfortunate, you know, no... I think that's why teams, one of the reasons why teams don't put uh, players on post anymore is because th- there, there is that opportunity now to catch teams offside if, you know, if they get it slightly wrong. And unfortunately, it's a, it's a toenail, isn't it? It's a big toe offside. But the way you've got to look at objectively in these situations, Dan, and that's the way I try and do that, is that if it was the shoe was on the other foot, and it was uh, it was Leeds who had that near post flick on, and it was you know a Rafinha or a Rodrigo at the back post banging it, tapping it in, and it was given offside by a big toe. Then you'd be thanking your lucky stars for that. So it was the right decision, and it was only a big toe offside, but he was offside. And but a, a really good, uh, a really good move, a really good set piece that's come off again. I.e. The ball ended up in the back of the net. Yes, it was offside, but you know, again, it's it's something that the the lads will take from the game that 
the set pieces now are starting to work a little bit and people are starting to struggle with Leicester at set pieces. Yeah, I remember. To, I can't remember if you were on extra time, Tony, the, the day after the Brighton game a, a month or two ago, and Leicester had two goals from corners uh, disallowed um, yeah. the offside. This was something a, a little bit similar, I guess. It wasn't the case of someone standing in front of the goalkeeper this time. It was obviously Luckman who who did get the goal. Who, who as Jerry says, is just as bottom of his leg was offside. Yeah, it's it's, it's such a difficult one, Dan. I think the. The tendency is for everyone to criticise VAR and say, you know, oh, it's it's this and it's that. But you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with VAR. I've always been very pro VAR because I think ultimately you have to get the right decision. I think that's the key part of any contentious decision around surrounding VAR. You have to get the right decision. Tags is quite right. If you look at it technically, take your Leicester hat off, look at it technically. Look at the steal. I know Brendan questioned about the steal, whether there was, um, you know, whether it was stopped at the right moment, the actual still still image they looked at. But if you look at it, and if you look at the line, and you look at it technically, you know, he's, what is it, half a foot, basically. You know, he's probably three, four inches. His, his foot's offside. So this, technically, VAR's got it right. My question mark, my uh, annoyance, if you like, about the, the VAR side of things is that, now, for many, many years, I think forwards were hard done by. It was very, it was, it was very pro uh, the defence. Tags would have loved it. The yeah. old days when you, you run up, everyone put your arms up offside and there was no yeah. VAR. In you. I agree with that. Yeah, and the forwards were, were having a bit of a nightmare. And then we then managed to transfer that round because ultimately we all want to see more goals in football. That is what football's all about. We want to see more goals. So the rule changed before VAR and it was very pro the forwards. And I think now, I think my only problem I've got with it, it now seems to be more pro the defensive side of things and it's more pro trying to cancel goals as opposed to letting goals be allowed. Now, I think that there's got to be maybe some sort of decision made about the line. You know, when they draw the line across, you know, you could see Lookman's foot was just offside, but, you know, where do, where, where do you draw it? Because we're told that you, you can score with your shoulders, so if your shoulder's leaning forward like that, I think Patrick Bamford had one famously when he was pointing and then he was given offside. And so I think it's just that grey area there about how do you define what is offside? You know, we used to say if you're level, if you're level, then you're onside. Now, technically, if you look at that, his foot is level with the last defender. So I don't know. It's, it, I just think it's a, it's a real minefield grey area. I know Arsene Wenger's been very proactive, hasn't he, in terms of AR trying to change the rules. And Tags might see it a little bit differently as an ex-defender, but as an ex-forward, I want to see the advantage given to the forwards. It's not just because it was a Leicester goal, but I want to see more goals. So that's just, was he offside? Yes, technically, but I'd like to see a little bit more help for the forwards if, as such. Oh, what do you think, Jerry? What was your... No, I agree entirely with what he's saying. I didn't have the... I didn't see the dissection, shall I call it, of, of the offside, obviously, because I was there commentating, so I didn't... And obviously, I didn't see Brendan's post-match interview and the questioning uh, of the offside decision. Although Matt Elliott did mention it in the post-match that the still that the took was taken uh, when the ball was actually touched at the near post and had gone away from Jimmy's body's head. So, yeah, there is a grey area. Uh, so, yeah, I, I totally agree. Football's about scoring goals. Uh, and there is that grey area still surrounding VAR in, in relation to what is offside and what isn't and where the advantage should go and who it should go to. Uh, because, you know, Luckman has been penalised for being at the right place at the right time. And he's not trying to gain an advantage. All he's done is, he's actually, it's really good movement, even though he's only moved one step to the side, but it's got him enough room to be able to put that ball in the net. And for, for him to be penalised because his big toe's offside, apparently, or is it or isn't it, because of the still, then yeah, that's still a grey area. I think though, as I said, the way I look at it is, if it was Leicester, if it was Leeds flicking that ball on, and it hadn't been given, we'd all be sitting here banging the, you know, banging the drum for VAR to be chucked out. And 
So I think you have to, you know, take it for what it is, basically, on this situation. But that doesn't mean that Tony isn't right and that it still needs looking further into where we can get every decision is absolutely bang on the money. And the advantage, I do actually believe that the advantage should go to goal scorers in those situations and not defenders. And the, the other frustrating thing as well, Tate, is when you look at the camera angles, you know, when you see the yeah. first, you see the wide angles, you know, taking, you see the corner being swung in, you see Jamie flick it on, and then you think, you're looking at, Lookman's coming in at far, you think, he can't be offside because he's come, he's run, when he started his run, he's almost behind Jamie, isn't he? He's come in at the far post and you, he cannot possibly be offside. And no. then you look at another angle and you see it and he's not offside. You think you, that's not offside in a million years. And then you then see it when they draw the line and you think, oh, it's, it's so frustrating. It really is. Yeah. Uh, right, let's move away from, um, from VAR and, and talk about the goals that, that did stand. Uh, we can do Leeds as first, Tony. Um, we yeah. spoke just before we, we came on, uh, didn't we, about Rafinha, about, about how good of a player he, he clearly is at, at Leeds. And it was a, a brilliant free kick, one of those that are so hard to defend. It's, it's, it's a really difficult one, this one, uh, Dan, because like you... you you sort of, you can be critical of Casper, but you can't be critical of him. It, it's it's one of those because um, I I think when when people take the free kick out wide, and let's let's be quite clear, Rafinha has got a fancy, he's got a wonderful effort. He's a fantastic player, and I'm sure he'll go on to greater and bigger things. And you know when he, when you get the ball on the angle like that on the right hand side, and you know that the left footed player is going to take it now. You can hit them low and hard like he did, or you can whip them towards the far post. And we've seen so many occasions, haven't we? With, but you know, probably more so with the ball slightly more out wide, where the ball, you know, the, the coaches and the managers will say to Rafinha and any other player, you know, whoever, whether it's a Leicester player, whoever, aim for the far post. Always aim for the far, far post. You then look to get your big boys, the likes of tags, etc., coming in at the far post. They're the ones who are going to try and attack the ball and everything. So. Rafinha was always going to whip the ball towards the far post. He didn't, he didn't put it in the air. He, he just drilled it hard and low. And what I'm saying about Casper is, like, normally you would question Casper and you would say, well, it's the only place he can put it. So Casper has got to guard that side of the goal. But as a goalkeeper, you can't just stand there because if you do that, he's good enough to whip it over the wall and you just stand there and look like a lemon. So you've got to sort of be on your toes. You've got to be covering every aspect. And... When the ball's played, you've then got the added distraction of all the forwards and all the defenders. The defenders don't want to touch it because they can put it in their own net. The forwards are trying to get on the end of it. And you've got all that action in front of you. And it's just that split second of hesitation from Casper's point of view. Is he going to touch it? And of course, the other thing as well is there's nothing worse than the goalkeeper dives. He dives out there and the lad touches the ball and it goes in the other corner and it trickles in. And then I said, well, Casper, if you'd have stood still, you would have picked the ball up. So it's one of those situations, I think, where you, I'm not going to blame Castor, I'm really not, but I don't think you can win as a goalkeeper. Yes, it's a fantastic free kick, but there's so much else that comes into play and it makes it really, really hard for the goalkeeper to save it. And whatever decision you make, it's, you're almost, it's almost like the wrong decision, really, and that's what makes it difficult. Yeah, there were a few moments, Jerry, weren't there, where Leeds players could have touched the ball and made it, as Tony said, even harder for Casper. Rodrigo was what? He... Yeah. Almost touched it, didn't he? He was, he was really close. So, I guess as Tony's saying there, Casper's almost got to gamble a little bit and, and wait in case someone like Rodrigo does get a toe on it and knocks it almost straight at him. Yeah. I, it is one of the... Well, it probably is the most difficult free kick to try and defend. But, in saying that, Rodrigo should not be allowed to run across the face of goal unguarded alone. You know that's going to happen. That is a training ground set piece. Rafinha knows exactly what he's doing. It's clever play for him, as Tony says. He knows he's going. It's the only place he can put it is at that far post. And it's a training ground move. You, you, you play it in there, you put a bit of pace on it, and you get players running across the face of goal. Now, Rodrigo makes the run, but he's not being guarded by any defenders. If you're being guarded by a defender and the defender, it might help Casper make his mind up, i.e. he then goes for it. Because the defender then has a chance of getting the block on it. Yes, he has also a chance of getting the toe end on it and sticking it in the back of his own net, as Tony says. But as a defender, 
I'd rather take that chance. I'd rather take the chance of clear, having the chance of clearing it and making sure Rodrigo doesn't get anything on it or doesn't distract Casper Schmeichel's decision-making and, and take that chance of me taking the responsibility and getting a good bid on it and getting it clear. And because that doesn't happen, Casper's decision-making then is clouded because of exactly what Tony's just described. If he gets a toe end on it, it goes into the other corner. Or it goes wide or it goes up. But you can't, you can't really take them sort of chances and just say, right, I'm just going to, whatever happens, I'm going to dive to the far corner and pick the ball up. Because there's so many variables that go on within that sort of situation. The, the only thing that can help you is a defender making sure the centre forward doesn't get across and get his leg out and get a touch on the ball. Is, is there any way in, in future positions or, or free kicks that you're defending in that sort of area, Jerry, to, I don't know, maybe have the line a bit deeper or, or even higher up the pitch or, or, what, or maybe, what a solution for something like that? Or maybe the first man moves slightly more across. Again, when you look at it, Casper's got a good line of sight, right? And he's obviously defending the middle of his goal slightly, well, slightly to the left of the middle of his goal because obviously he's got the wall up and... As Tony rightly said, he can whip it over into that far corner if he goes any further to, uh, to his right, is it? Yeah, to his right, sorry. Not to his left. So he has to defend that corner of the goal, even though 99% of the time he knows Rafinha's going to put it there because he can't really shoot unless he's got a massive gap to go for. And if Casper's completely over to the right side of the goal, so he knows Rafinha's going to put it in there, someone's going to run across, and try and get a touch. So the only thing you do then is shift your first man across slightly and then try and block that gap between where Rafinha wants to put the ball uh, and where the wall's standing. And then that makes it a bit more difficult for you. But in the main, it's about tracking runners and getting them from, making sure they don't get across the face of you. And that's what didn't happen. And it was, it's Rod, Rodrigo's run that upsets the, the mindset of Casper. I'm not saying it's as simple as that, but that is the biggest factor in that goal being scored is Rodrigo's run, no one tracking it, and therefore no one getting a block on it. Uh, you'd have definitely been claiming it, Tony, wouldn't you, as, as Rodrigo there, if you get a, a toe anywhere near it? I had a few like that in my career, Danny, in the good old days when there was no cameras. Put, put your arm up straight away, just run off celebrating, and everyone thinks he's touched it, and you... You maybe got a finger, you know, toenail on it or something like that. You know, you just claim the goal, but um, yeah, I mean, he, uh, yeah, Tags has described it very well. It was, it was a really, really difficult one for Casper, and you know, but perhaps defensively they could have just worked a little bit harder, and it would have made it a little bit, a little bit easier for Casper. But uh, it, it was a, it was a disappointing goal to concede. There's no doubt about it. But they reacted brilliantly, and, and we, we've seen that quite a lot recently. Actually, Leicester having conceded a goal, suddenly going up the other end and scoring. Again, exactly what they did. Yeah, it's it's one of them things in football that that's never really changed. And um, over the years, you, uh, well, I, I I don't know how many goals have been scored immediately after a goal's been scored at the other end. Um, I, I think in in the modern game, you you see a goal scored like Leeds would have scored, and I think in the modern game, everyone every player goes to congratulate the goal scorer. Quite rightly so, I might add. So there's a lot of, there's all that adrenaline and agitation and getting involved with the crowd and everything. And then you then go back to the halfway line, at which point you're still buzzing because your team's gone a goal up and defenders switch off. And that's what happens. But I don't think that was the case in this situation. I really don't. I think it is just the pure quality of the goal. You know, it, can I be critical of the Leeds back four? Um, you could argue the right back, whoever the right back was, you know, could he have... He, Perhaps could have gone and put Samari under pressure and nudged him or given a foul away, maybe, which is better than what happened. But apart from that, Leeds have got they've got their back four in place. It's a it's a long ball from Johnny, isn't it? It just sort of pumped up there, really. And and what Harvey does, he does it really well. He just runs pretty much down the touchline. And when the ball's flipped on from Samari, it, you know, he's still there's not no real danger. You could say, well, don't let him come in on his right foot. That's another thing you could say about the defending. Um, but I don't want to in any way take anything away from Harvey Barnes because the goal is quite simply sensational. We've seen over the last few weeks, I'm thinking of particularly of Yuri Tillemans, 
goals where he's put the ball in the only place that it can go to score a goal. And I think the argument's there for, for Harvey as well, because once he comes in on inside on his right foot, he's got that top right-hand corner as he's looking at it. He knows he's got to curl it. You know you've got to get it up in the air. You know you've got to get it over the keeper with curl and with dip to put it into a, a, about that much. And that's, that's what he had to aim at, really. Anywhere else, you know, the goalkeeper's going to save it, he's going to tip it over, going to catch it. it but it's, it's a sensational goal. Yes, Leeds switched off maybe a little bit with a couple of things I've said about. But, you know, it's a fantastic... It was really, it's always really important to strike back quickly. You know, to do it after 10 seconds is incredible. But um, it was quite simply, again, like, I mean, we saw the, both, both Yuri's goals win the goal of the month competition for, for um, November and, you know, I think Harvey Barnes is going to, sorry for October, and, and Harvey's going to be up there with the goal of the month for November because it was a sensational goal. It, it was, Joey, wasn't it? It was absolutely world-class. And as Tony says, that is the only place you could have put it. Yeah, it's the only place you can put it. I was right behind it. And the keeper's actually in a good position. He's actually edging again towards that far corner, so he can't go low in that far corner. If he goes low in that far corner, Keeper picks it up. He can't go near post because of the angle, because of the defender. So the only place he can go is that top left-hand corner where Tony's described it. And I actually think, again, this is a training ground move because as soon as the ball is played back to Johnny Evans, Bubba Samari is on his bike down that inside left channel. And as soon as Johnny controls the ball, he knows exactly where it's going. He doesn't even have to look, and he just flips it. And Samari does brilliantly well. It's Stuart Dallas, the right back, TC, by the way. Yeah. And Samari gets a great leap. And he, he, I mean, it's the slightest of touches that Samari gets, but it's just enough to take it away from Stuart Dallas and into the path of Harvey Barnes. And then after that, it's just down to pure individual brilliance because of the way Tony's described it. He has that much and, and all the other fact, you know, factors that you have to throw into the mix about getting it up and then getting it back down and curling it and whipping it and all the other things that you have to pull off for it to go into that bit of the net, you know, at two metres high. An incredible finish. <coughs> and and in, an attempt, in that environment as well where you know, the quality in the final third from both teams was probably something that let both sides down in the main. So for Harvey to then just compose himself in that intense environment, which Ellen Road is. You know, TC, you were at the game, I was at the game, we both played there. It's a really intense atmosphere, Ellen Road. Mm -hmm. And so for Harvey then to compose himself after he's got a really good first touch out of his feet and pull that off. And, and then let's face it, Leeds didn't give Leicester a second on the ball yesterday. And that was the only time I can remember that Harvey really got the ball out of his feet, got past a defender, and then was able to pull that shot off. Incredible. So, Dave, do you know what, what was interesting about what you said? You said that you, you described it as um, off the training round, the, yeah. in terms of what they did. And, you know, I spoke about it earlier on. Um, you know, it, it, it's highly annoying. If you can see the goal, you pass the ball to Johnny. Johnny passes it to the right back. He comes back to the centre half. Goes to the centre half. Go left back. No like Absolutely. You, so what I'm saying is that I think Leicester deserve great praise for 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 doing. And, and it's not. It wasn't just a hoof from Johnny. Let's make that quite clear. It was not a hoof. It was something that they've obviously worked on. And if you're going to play a long pass, it's not a long ball. It's like if you're going to play a long pass, and Johnny's capable of hitting the ball 50 yards directly to someone, he knows where he's putting it. I think. You know, that sort of thing is to immediately put the opposition under pressure when they're not concentrating tags, which is what I was going on about. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, do you not agree that I think they, they really deserve credit for doing that rather than tapping it around at the back and not going anywhere? Totally. Totally. You know, we've seen a couple of weeks ago against Manchester United when slightly different scenario, the ball goes to Castagna on the left-hand side. But I, I truly believe that that's come straight off the training ground, that move. Because, as I say, when does Bubba Samari just get on his bike and, and start sprinting straight down the inside left channel? <coughs> and then Johnny just picks that pass out. And as you rightly say, Johnny's one of those players that can pick that pass you know, nine times out of ten. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, even, he'll pick that pass. And it just 
and everyone was in the position. It was yep. all right. Yeah, flick on. So Harvey was there in a position. Jamie was in a position that if he, he he could knock it down inside. So all the players were were in that position to try and get on the end of that. And as it happened, it was a flick on to Harvey. Yes, the rest is just sheer brilliance, and you can't you can't factor in for that. But what that flick on and what that play did was allow Harvey then, as I said there, it was only the, the, one of the few occasions that Harvey was able to get a bit of space and a bit of time to get the ball out of his feet and try and create something. And it all came from, from Leeds scoring. <laughs> and that's basically what happened. Leeds score, Leicester reply. It, it can't be a coincidence either, Tony, that Spartak must go away. Uh, they scored, made it 2-0. Leicester immediately scored from kickoff just before half-time. The Manchester United game that Jerry's referenced there. Man United make it 2-2. Uh, Leicester immediately scored from kickoff. I think it was about 15 seconds, wasn't it? And it must have been similar again yesterday in, in terms of the time frame between. And, and to have three in a really r- relatively recent time period, it can't be a coincidence. Like, like you said, that there must be something that they've done on the training ground or said, this is how we can get at teams. Yeah, and that's my point, really, that it's not a coincidence. And, and you know, I, I can imagine Brendan sort of analysing things and, and, and saying, well, when a team, when a team's at their most vulnerable, you can argue set pieces. Uh, that's probably where individuals switch off, you know, but you, you never really know when a, a set piece is going to occur, a free kick or a corner. You know, it depends on the pressure you've got, obviously, on the ball. But in terms of reaction to going a goal behind or, or conceding a goal <clears throat> as I described I think I honestly think that a team is they're not fully focused and and, and I, I can imagine Brendan at the training ground thinking to himself you know we're, we're going to work on this because this is something that you can actually catch teams out and and you can only do that if you do what I said to take which is to get the ball forward and to take a bit of a gamble, you know, in normal circumstances, would you want Sumari just running forward 50 yards and not thinking about where his position is in midfield? Of course you wouldn't. You, you know, you would never say that to a midfielder. But if it's a carefully planned strategic move, which it was, then, as I say, the players deserve great credit, particularly Harvey, for where the ball's gone, but they deserve great credit for executing that. But I reckon that the manage, manager and the coaching staff have had a say in it because... If you do it once, you could say, well, yeah, all right, I'd just take a bit of a punt on it. You do it twice, three times. It's, it can't be, it's, it's not one-off things, is it? It's something that they are genuinely working on. And as I've already described a few times, it is the most vulnerable that the team is. You score the goal, you switch off, no one's concentrating. It's a great time to hit back straight away. A great moment, of course, personally for, for Harvey Barnes as well, Jerry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... You know, he's, he's been in and out of the team. His form has been decent, but not till that, he's not hit the heights, has he, that he'd hit last season before his injury. So to start the game, to get the nod to start the game, and obviously Brendan had changed it up coming into the game. Uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> energy levels, fitness levels, whatever, you know that you're... You go, it, it was a titan, titanic of a game. It really was. And you have to be fit. Leeds were, the fitness levels that Leeds showed yesterday were quite incredible, I have to say. Some of the players that were on show yesterday for Leeds and the fitness levels were quite incredible. Uh, and so for Harvey then, as I say, to get the nod, um, one of those reasons will have been his fitness levels and, and his ability to, to match Leeds's energy levels up, the, up, up and down that left-hand side. And then to, you know, hit back with the quality of that strike uh, will only do him the world of good. You can see the beaming smile on his face after he, he scored it. I mean, that will have done him the, his confidence the world of good. And hopefully, moving on, we'll start to see the best of Harvey again. Yeah, we, we saw him, didn't we, Tony, that last season when he was on that, fantastic run just before his injury the confidence levels that he had were were through the roof weren't they and hopefully goals like the one that he scored yesterday will um get that confidence back again i've I've spoke about it many times before dan and confidence is such a key word in football it really is but it's it's hard to get confidence it really is and 
I, I do feel for Harvey because you know he was in outstanding form, wasn't he, up until that injury? He, he's had a bad injury, and then you're trying to come back. And I think it's perhaps a little bit harder nowadays. I think it, it, it's, it's it's certainly easier from a medical point of view. Let's you know, let's be honest. Compared to 30 years ago, the, the you know the the advances in medicine and you know treatment from injuries is incredible now compared to what it was. So the, the players are lucky from that point of view. But where they're perhaps a little bit unlucky is it's now a squad game. And by that, what I mean is if you're a key player, and let's be honest, Harvey was a key player. At the point he got injured, he was one of those key players in the team. You know what you're getting. He was in outstanding form. But then when you come back from injury now, you've got players in front of you and you've got squad rotation as well. So the, the point I'm making is that the manager, in the old days, you put the player straight back in and you probably would have four, five, six games where you're trying to get your fitness back and you, you're perhaps not going to play particularly well. And then you then come out the other side and you start to get everything back again. But you, Harvey Barnes has not had that four, five, six games really, has he? He's sort of been in and out. We've seen little glimpses and everything. And with the squad rotation, with the European football, it's hard to give a player who needs fitness and say, there you go, you're in the team, regardless of what happens. That's not, that doesn't happen in modern day football. So it's been very, very difficult for him. But coming back to the big point I made, confidence if you can't get confidence through scoring a goal like that, you'll never get confidence. That was an unbelievable goal. And it's one of them goals, he would have, I'm sure he would have got home, he would have watched it on the telly and thought, you know, I've just scored one of the best goals of my career. And as a result of that, you want the ball more. You feel more confident. When you do get the ball, you're going to make better decisions because you've got that confidence. And he must be walking around the training ground today, you know, 10 foot tall and, you know, I'm back. And that, he must be thinking that, Harvey, because... You know, it was a brilliant goal and that can only help him and ultimately help Leicester to, to improve as a team and as, as a squad. Yeah, we saw him come back in, obviously, Jerry, and, and I guess the changing system allowed that, didn't it? Allowed Luckman and Barnes to, to be those two wide players. What did you make of the, the change of system? How did, you, uh, how did you find it? It was fine. I think whatever system Brendan was going to play, because he did change it, didn't he? Half, halfway through the second half, bringing Dan Amati on. And then straight away, Leeds changed their system to match Leicester up. So whatever system Leicester had a, would have played yesterday, uh, it was going to be difficult because Leeds just would have automatically matched them up no matter what. Uh, and they obviously went with Strook, who by trade is a centre-half, but actually played left-back yesterday because Leicester went with, with, with the 4-2-3-1 uh, or the 4-3-3, whatever it was. So, and then, and then obviously when Dan Amati came on, Strzok came in the centre-half then, uh, and Harrison, Jack Harrison went the wing-back on that left-hand side. So it was always going to be a tough game. But yeah, I think, going back to your point, I think that's the beauty that Brendan has now in his squad. He's got players that can fit in the three or four different systems. And obviously one of them is having the three centre-halves playing Kelechi or Patsendaker up front alongside Jamie Ward if he wants to go that way. He can play 4-4-2 if he so wishes because he's got Luckman and Barnes. And like he did yesterday, he can, he can play 4-2-3-1 with the two wide players, Luckman and Barnes. And if he has to change it up, he's got Dacker on the bench, he's got Ian Nacho on the bench uh, as, as attacking options. Amongst others, I know I'm missing one or two out here, but that is the beauty that Brendan has now. He has a squad that can not only can he rotate the players, but he can rotate the systems within that squad as well. And that must make it so difficult, Tony, for opposing teams, opposing managers to try and prepare to play against Leicester because you don't know what system they'll play. No, it does make it really difficult. And I think if you said to me or Tags or Matt Elliott or whatever to, to pick Leicester's, as we stand, Leicester's best formation and Leicester's best players and put, pick the team, I think we probably would all come up with different formations and different teams, which is a compliment to Leicester because it makes them unpredictable and it gives Brendan so many options in terms of the formation, in terms of the players. And, you know, you look at some of the teams um, and I'm possibly thinking Liverpool uh, and, and you know that if you said pick the best formation, best team, you can do it because you, you know that it's 
it's almost like the four-three-three, isn't it? And you know the players that are going to be in that system, but you can't do that with Leicester, <laughs> and that makes it very difficult to plan and to play against because you know Bielsa would have been looking at it and thinking, well, they've you know, been playing with three centre halves, they've played two up front, or oh, hold on a sec, indeed he's come back. So what does that mean? Are they going to go four-one-four-one? And as it turned out, it went four-three-three. So that it 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 can give an advantage to to Leicester, I think, because. Brendan can pick the team and sometimes you can look at the players and you, and, and you, you almost can't even work out what the system's going to be. So it's, it, I, I do think it's a good thing for Leicester, without a doubt. Sometimes it can, I suppose, it, it's, it can make it too many options, if you like, sometimes. Sometimes you can overanalyse things. But, you know, let's be honest, in general, Brendan gets it right. And it's a, it's a tremendous squad of players and they've got real options with the formation now. Yeah, the, the real options in that next game, Jerry, after the international break is Chelsea at home so <laughs> Saturday. Do you, do you expect they'll go back to the, the back three for that or will he stick with how he started against Leeds? And it, I know it's 12 days away and everything, but, but what do you think? Tough. I think, I think <laughs> if you're going to look at formations and what Brendan would preferably like to play, then it would definitely be the 4-2-3-1. That's my personal opinion. I think he's managed to go to the three centre abs and get positive results. But we've seen against Arsenal, it didn't really work at home uh, against Arsenal. So we, you know, he slightly changed it at half time <coughs> against Arsenal. Came out and was a lot better performance in the second half. It may have been one of the reasons why he changed uh, at the weekend against. Uh, Sorry, yesterday against Leeds. I'm not too sure. But, you know, Chelsea play three centre-halves invariably. Don't they play three at the back? Uh, the two wing-backs, even though they, they can go to four. But I think they like to play the three centre-halves as well. So it's all down to personal choice, per, personal preference. Personally, if my per, preferred system as a manager is, is a four at the back and you're playing against three centre-halves, then I would definitely play a back four, because you will have opportunities down both flanks to, to exploit the wing-backs. Now, I know good, good teams that play three centre-halves, their back three are very, very fluid. And what I mean is they can go out into the full-back areas. But then that creates gaps elsewhere on the pitch, I, and that creates gaps more centrally. If, if people aren't doing their jobs, I, your, your defensive midfielder isn't going back and filling in or your opposite wing-back, depending on which side of the pitch the ball is, isn't coming back and filling in as, as a full-back and he's out there as a wing. So, but what that definitely creates is an opportunity to exploit down the wings playing, playing a back four. And obviously, with the full-backs that Leicester uh, possess, again, they love to get forward. They love to, to join in and make those overlapping runs or underlapping runs. Then there's definitely an opportunity to exploit any team that plays three centre halves. So, but again, as we've seen in the past, you know, Brendan's get has got results from playing all different kinds of formations. So it's basically a flip of the coin. You have to analyse Chelsea's game, where they're strong and where they're weak defensively, and then exploit that in and around any given formation. Uh, final point before we move on, Tony. Uh, it'd be quite difficult to drop Harvey Barnes, wouldn't it, or for Harvey Barnes not to play the next game because of a goal like that, and, and you've spoken about that confidence already. Yeah, and again, this is where the difficulties will be. Um, you know, Tags has just spoken about it, particularly from Chelsea's point of view, the three centre-halves. They've probably got two, in my opinion, two of the best full-backs, wing-backs in the country, in Rhys James and Ben Chilwell, outstanding players. Do you want them bombing forward and, you know, creating chances or do you want them pushed back defensively? And the answer, obviously, is you want them pushed back defensively. <coughs> and the only way to do that, really, is to have wide players that they're going to go, oh, hold on a sec, I'm up against Harvey Barnes today. I, you know, I'm not going to push forward nowhere near as much as what I would do normally because I've got a good player up against me. So, I think from that point of view, I think Harvey will be in a good position because Brendan will be analysing it and be looking at it, planning what to do against Chelsea. A long time to to plan for that game now. But, you know, he'll, he'll do his homework. He'll watch what Burnley did, perhaps, you know, because, you know, they deserve credit for getting a, a draw at Chelsea. It's not an easy place to go to, is it? And, you know, he'll, he'll take little 
little uh, bits from what Burnley did and also incorporate that with what Leicester want to do to take the game to, to Chelsea. So I think Harvey will be in a good position. I think, you know, you need you need good wide players, as Tags has already spoken about, you know, that are going to cause problems for, for Chelsea. So, um, yeah, I, I think personally, I think Harvey will play against Chelsea. Um, right, Jerry, uh, what other Premier League games uh, caught your eye this weekend? Well, I was going to... Tony's just mentioned it. Uh, I think Burnley going to Chelsea and getting the point. And, you know, you're talking about formations. They play that old-fashioned 4-4-2 formation. And they go to Chelsea, who I said, are a very, very fluent team. It doesn't really matter what formation you play. You have to be, you have to be able to be fluid in it. But that, again, just shows you that with wide players, you're going to Chelsea with wide players. And you come away with a point. So there's, you know, that shows you that there's hope for everybody. And, and that's not trying to be disrespectful to Burnley, by the way, because they are a tough nut to crack. But what I'm saying is people in recent times are, you know, they're trying to come away from having out and out wet for having full backs and wide players uh, and two centre forwards, whereas Burnley invariably play 4-4-2. Uh, and I think a couple of other teams played 4-4-2 at the week. I think, was it Southampton? Uh, was it Southampton and Villa? Yeah. Played 4-4-2 as well. On Friday night, was it, that game? Yeah. Yeah. And they were playing, a, I think both teams played 4-4-2 in that game. You've got Burnley at play a 4-4-2. I don't think Leicester will go 4-4-2. But... Uh, I think Burnley deserve big credit for going down to Chelsea. And it just shows that, you know, with Man City beating Man United, Liverpool losing to West Ham, Chelsea drawn against Burnley. Yes, Chelsea are still three points clear at the top of the table, but it just makes it, as Tony mentioned earlier, it just makes it all the more interesting when one of the big boys don't pull off an expected win at home, especially at home. And when one of the smaller clubs come, and pull off, which you have to say is a minor miracle for Burnley to go there and pull off a draw. So it just throws it all back into the melting pot. It sort of makes the Premier League still wide open, even though Chelsea are still three points clear. And obviously West Ham are stuck right in the middle of that top four. So it's great. It's great for the Premier League. Yeah, I assume that'll be the game that you want to talk about, Tony. I'm actually, not really then. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm, as I said earlier, I'm really pleased my, my old team is doing so well and it was a great result for the Premier League. Um, I suppose the, the two key games really in terms of what's happened subsequently were, were, were Southampton Aston Villa, obviously resulting in Dean Smith, who's a good guy, by the way, and mm. you know, I'm disappointed he's lost his job. But, you know, Aston Villa have had a really poor run, haven't they? So, you know, he's paid the price for that. And then the really, really bizarre one and the strange <laughs> one is Brentford and Norwich. And, you know, you know again, Daniel Farke, I've interviewed Daniel Farke. He's a, again, he's a really nice guy. And you look at the start to the season, Norwich, another one of my old clubs have made, and you're thinking, well, you know, surely they've got to win sooner or later. And, of course, they go to Brentford, and we all know through experience how tough a game that is. You know, you look at what they've done in home games against the likes of Arsenal and Liverpool. Uh, even Chelsea, they gave a good game too, didn't they, Brentford? And and then uh, Norwich go there and win, uh, and and he gets sacked. And you're thinking, there must be. A, I can only suppose a bit like the Tottenham scenario, where you know Nuno was gone, and a day later Conte arrived. And I can only guess that somewhere along the line today, we're going to hear that so and so has been appointed as Norwich manager. I don't know. And same with Villa. I don't know who the, the, those two guys are going to be. There's you know, there are some good options out there, but it, it, it does amaze me football that you can win a game and you get that first victory of the season and all the fans would have been buzzing and then he gets sacked. So certainly two sort of key games in terms of managerial uh, merry-go-round now at the weekend. Um, yeah, f- final point again then before we, uh, before we do the football Jenga. In terms of the title race, Jerry, um, who are you fancying at this stage? <coughs> I, I, I fancied Liverpool because they, they got Van Dijk back at, uh, at the beginning of the season. I really did. I thought with Van Dijk back, Liverpool have to be up there with a really good chance. Uh, and obviously, 
go and get beat yesterday. That's obviously the first defeat of the season. Uh, Man City have been beaten. Man City have drawn, you know, not scored a couple of goals. Then they go and, you know, put another run of result, put a couple of results together. Uh, Chelsea look good and then they go and draw against Burnley. Man City go to Chelsea, beat Chelsea. I mean, it's just, it's too hard to call at the minute. It really is. But I'm going to stick with Liverpool because that was my original choice, purely based on the fact that Van Dijk was back. He was fit. All right, he's probably not back to his 100% best, but maybe throughout the course of the season, he might come back to that best. And, you know, everywhere else around the pitch, they look really good. And they play a brand of football that I quite like to watch. And as do one or two other teams, by the way. But, yeah, I'll stick with it. It's just too, it's too open. It's still too open for me. Uh, finally then, Tony, what about you? Yeah, I think I think the um, interesting race this year, Dan, is going to be to get into the Champions League position. I think the you know I think yeah. although you don't really know who's going to win the league, I think we would probably agree on the fact that there's three teams that can potentially win the league, which would yeah. be Chelsea, Manchester City, and Liverpool. That's your top three. We don't know what order. And then you've got a very intriguing Champions League race going to develop. I think obviously West Ham in pole position at the moment. Arsenal have had a good run. I think Leicester will improve and get better and hopefully they'll be pushing to get where they've been in the last two seasons. <clears throat> but in terms of winning the league, um, I still fancy Chelsea, I think. No Lukaku at the moment. He's due to come back. I, I don't know when he's back, but he'll be back. And if he starts scoring goals again, that will make them a better team uh, and they will punish the likes of Burnley. Um, Liverpool yesterday, I was disappointed with. I've got to be honest, West Ham played really well, but Liverpool were, they was off yesterday. <laughs> And, and as we know with the Premier League, if you're slightly off your game, it doesn't matter which team you are, you will get beat or you will draw the game. You have to be at it every single week. There's no room for error in this Premier League. Man City, I watched the Man United, played fantastically well, should have won 6-0 and they won 2-0. And the reason for that, they do not have a centre-forward, a recognised centre-forward. You know, that's their problem, Man City. So whether they'll solve that in the January window, will Harry Kane go to... I don't, I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen, but... I think it's going to be interesting. You take your pick out of those three. I'm going to slightly disagree with Tags. He's gone Liverpool. I'm going to go Chelsea. As you know, Tags, that means Man City are going to win it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can only go with that because that's who I picked at the beginning. But yeah, yeah, Chelsea, absolutely. Chelsea take your pick. easily win the league. But you made the best point you made there, Tony, for me is you, you just cannot afford not to be on top form in this league this season. It's as simple as that. So whoever wins it is going to have to maybe... The least off days, isn't it? The least off yeah, days. Yeah, exactly. You, you're talking maximum two more two more losses between now and the end of the season. Maximum, if you're going to win it. And yes, there's going to be draws in there and, and, and this, that and the other. There's going to be a few tight results. But if you're not at it between now and the end of the season and you've got three, four... Defeats in there, five defeats even, it's game over. And and this weekend proves that because it's just opened it back up again. Managers will be doubling down after this weekend on, on refocusing and training methods, whatever you call it, because as we all know, this season now is coming up to a really busy period of football. And the teams at the top will not want to give any leeway whatsoever to anybody else because of the because of the the way the games are coming so thick and fast over this period. Yeah, it'll be uh, certainly an interesting race this season, I'm sure. But uh, a number of um, positions, as, as Tony says, that Champions League race as well is, is very interesting. Right, uh, let's do our football Jenga then at the end of extra time. Um, with it being an interesting weekend of Premier League action, we've gone for. Uh, the goal scorers, Premier League goal scorers this weekend across all uh, 10 Premier League games. Wow. Uh, so you can both have a quick <laughs> little thing. Neither of you look too happy with that. Um, Jerry head and hands already. Um, but Tony, you can go first. So any goal scorer uh, that scored in the Premier League at the weekend, obviously, if it's known goal as well, that, that can count. Uh, so I'm going to stick to what I, I saw yesterday. Pablo Fornells. 
on from. What a goal that was as well, Tags, yeah. wasn't it? Great finish. Um, Divock Origi. Alexander Arnold. Bernardo Silva. Allison. If we're going home goals, I'll go by home goal. Rafinha. Oh, Harvey Barnes. I believe in David. You little get. Uh, okay, he scored the other one for Man City. Puke. Timo Puke. Big shout, penalty, wasn't it? Um, Again, I was I saw this in the lounge yesterday. Smith Rowe scored for Arsenal. Yeah. Struggling there. Yeah. That right takes some so much. Uh <clears throat> Tottenham was nil nil. Um, uh, there can't be left there. There can't be many left. No, there are one, two, three, Nine left. Nine. Wow. I'll say Phil Foden. No, that's incorrect. We've done them because of a young goal, wasn't it? And Silver. Silver, was it? Yeah. Didn't see it. Go on, Tony. For the win. I think then, I think Guy Havertz, um, not, is it Guy Havertz and Havertz scored for Chelsea? He did. Guy Havertz, think. yeah, correct. Right, well done. So yeah, that's something for Put Tony. Put me to the sword again. The ones you missed, uh, Conor Gallagher, Kurt Zuma, uh, Leandro Trossard, Matthias Norman, Matej Vidra, uh, Rico Henry, Wilfred Zaha and Isaac Hayden. Um, Isaac Hayden, that was it. Surprised you missed Zuma, to be honest, Tony. Um, yeah, but... I know. Well, we sort of takes, we threw me off because he went, he went through like the um, Alice own goal, and then that, mm. that threw me. So, um, yeah. we, we well, got well done anyway. You, you still won. Uh, thank you very much to both of you uh, for your company today. Uh, it's a couple of weeks off for us, certainly, Jerry, Tony. I'm sure you'll be busy with lots of other things as well. But um, yeah, we'll be back uh, a week on Saturday. Uh, for that game with Chelsea, Match Day Live is at 12. Yeah, I'm doing that game, Dan, so I'm looking forward to it. I'll be, I'll be joining you for that one. Brilliant, nice yeah. Time. We'll be on at 11, so yeah, we'll, we'll speak to you both then. See you later. Good Cheers, luck. guys.